Hello and welcome to another edition of the International Intrigue Audio Newsletter. This is where we read to our two main stories so that you can listen to them rather than read them and you can get on with your busy days. The first story is all about Turkey, which is in a precarious place at the moment. It's a little overextended militarily and it's got political problems at home. The second story asks the question, what even is volatility? It was prompted by a friend of mine asking me that exact question. I think it's an interesting piece. Anyway, without further ado, on to the first story. Turkey, return of the Ottomans. Turkey has featured in the news lately, but not exactly for good reasons. Between the epic wildfires sweeping the countryside and a sludge of sea snot, yes, that's legit what it's called, blanketing the Sea of Marmara, the religious among us might be convinced that Turkey is in the middle of a biblical plague. Environmental calamities aside, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who has been dubbed the Sultan of 21st century Turkey, has brought further global attention to Turkey via his hardline views on foreign policy. For at least the last decade, the pugnacious President Erdogan has acted so boldly militarily and politically that many believe he's hell-bent on restoring the country to its former Ottoman glory. The Ottomans, Ataturk and Erdogan. But first, some context. Unfortunately, we simply don't have enough words to delve into the fascinating history of modern Turkey, but a snapshot might look something like this. 1500s to 1918. The Ottoman Empire ruled the region under sultanates but became a cropper when they sided with the Germans and Austro-Hungarians. At its height, the Ottomans controlled vast swathes of North Africa, the Middle East and Eastern Europe. 1923 to 2003. Turkey became a republic with Kemal Ataturk as its first president. Under founding father Ataturk, Turkey became a secular country and underwent huge political, social and economic reforms to modernise alongside its new Western allies. Turkey since been a Western-oriented regional power. It joined the North Atlantic Alliance, or NATO, in 1952 as the group's eastern anchor and is part of the WTO, G20 and OECD. 2003 to now a.k.a. the Erdogan years. President Erdogan has been either Prime Minister or President since his AKP party first won power in 2003. Turkey has been in long-running talks to join the EU, but the EU says Turkey's chances of inclusion are evaporating due to the country's growing illiberalism. Hot goss. Dominic Cummings recently implied that the Brexit Leave campaign, which he directed, intentionally exaggerated Turkey's chances of joining the EU in 2016 to win votes, and that's a T. Peace at home, peace in the world. This Ataturk-coined phrase has been Turkey's foreign policy mantra for most of its modern history. Even President Erdogan bought into it during his early days, striving for a policy of zero problems with neighbours through sound trade and diplomatic ties. But over the past decade, Turkey has played a more assertive role in filling the region's power vacuum a power vacuum that exists thanks to the EU's weak policy on Turkey and the US withdrawal from the nearby Middle East. And fill that vacuum they have. Turkey is seemingly everywhere and involved in everything at once, all while effectively playing off Russia, the US and the EU against each other like they did under the Ottoman Empire. And in our newsletter, there's a snapshot map of where Turkey's at across the region and uh, 
They've now stretching from Iraq to Somalia, as well as, of course, being in Syria. So what does all this mean for the geopolitics of the already combustible region? A return to the Ottoman Empire? Well, military spending under President Erdogan as a percentage of GDP rose 50% over the last couple of years to around 3%. Turkey's military presence outside its borders is now the largest it's been since the heady days of the Ottoman Empire. Syria. Turkey sent troops to fight in bordering Syria in 2016, one of its largest foreign operations since World War I. Why? First, to fight against ISIS, including in Iraq. Second, to fight against US-backed Kurdish forces who are linked to Kurdish militants fighting for an autonomous Kurdish region inside Turkey. Azerbaijan Turkey has supported Azerbaijan in its stoush against Armenia over the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. This is hardly surprising, given Turkey's uh, troubled history with the Armenians. Not only, only there to monitor a ceasefire, Turkey's also been providing military training and reportedly sending sophisticated defence weapons to help Azerbaijan. Greece and Cyprus. A grudge as long as time. Turkish warships have been dispatched to escort the country's exploration and drilling vessels hunting for hydrocarbons in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Taking a leaf out of China's book, Turkey's been doing this to assert its claim over disputed energy rights over offshore gas reserves. Zoom out. President Erdogan's military adventurism abroad has positioned Turkey to once again become a regional hegemon, which is a $10 word for Turkey's neighbours have to do what they say. But unfortunately for Erdogan slash the Turkish people, things at home aren't exactly rosy. The Turkish economy is in trouble. Inflation has swollen to 17.5% in June 2021, with some reports saying that the true inflation rate is actually closer to 40%. That's almost three times more than the Turkish Central Bank's inflation target of 5%. President Erdogan's political party are unpopular. There are reports that domestic political support for the president and his party is down to about 26%, the lowest rate in years. Political opponents are seizing the opportunity to unseat the sultan. President Erdogan would be wise to re-examine Ataturk's motto and focus on the peace at home part. Military overreach claimed the last Turkish empire and it might yet claim his too. Is the world really getting more volatile? Look, everyone knows someone who is totally unafraid to ask the question that no one else will. The person who cuts in halfway through their manager's meandering speech to ask, sorry, what exactly does leveraging synergistic advantages mean? At best, people like that unmask more charlatans before lunch than the rest of us do in a lifetime. At worst, their lack of Fs given in social situations is hilarious. Recently, a close friend who fits that description asked why Helen and I started International Intrigue. And I answered with my standard but very genuine pitch. Look, the world is getting more volatile before our very eyes. And because we are more connected than ever before, everyone, not just diplomats or foreign affairs wonks, needs to understand what's going on, how it affects them, and what to do about it. This was his response. Yeah, okay, but what does more volatile actually mean? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary defines 
just kidding. This isn't a high school debate. And even if it was, volatility has so many different technical definitions that I'd put myself to sleep writing them long before they got the chance to put you to sleep. Whichever technical definition you adopt, the high-level concept of volatility remains similar. How much is something changing, and how quickly? Unfortunately, as with most things in foreign affairs, the term volatility is used imprecisely. In fact, people use volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and many other terms interchangeably. The problem is, the more interchangeable in general those terms become, the less useful they are. A tool for analysing geopolitical change. In the early 1990s, the US Army War College developed VUCA, or VUCA, a mental model for analysing the fast-changing post-Cold War military landscape. Since then, it's become very trendy among management consultants and executives as well. VUCA stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity and Ambiguity. But instead of those words having general and often interchangeable meanings, VUCA is specific. Volatility. In a volatile world, unexpected events occur irregularly, but often over unknown time periods. However, once the event has happened, its causes are easily understood. Uncertainty. In an uncertain world, there is some but not full information about cause and effect of events. Predictions are possible, but given the lack of certainty, they're not very useful. Complexity. A complex world has many variables, decision makers, inputs and outputs. Events can be predicted, but the volume and detail of information is so large that it can't be processed and is therefore of limited value. And ambiguity. In an ambiguous world, not much is known about anything. In this situation, it's difficult to say why anything happens. These are the Rumsfeldian unknown unknowns. And here we've got a nice little graphic, which I tirelessly put together, which just graphically shows you how those four concepts differ. The VUCA framework is useful because it shows us that volatility, in the sort of general sense, is really just one source of unexpected geopolitical change. It also helps us separate the different sources of geopolitical change in our minds. Now, that's important because the best course of action in, say, a volatile environment, for example, heightened preparedness, might not be the best course of action in a complex environment, where preparing wouldn't help much. Okay, so we're really talking about unexpected change. But how do you know that the rate of change is increasing? The TLDR, we don't know. We don't know that the world is changing faster than before. It is unknowable. Sure, there are technologists who will argue either side, but none of them know. My hypothesis is that the last five years or so have seen the most unexpected change since the end of the Cold War. Let's look at a few examples. Sources of volatility. The 2016 US presidential election and the Brexit vote. Extreme climate events like bushfires and floods. COVID-19. And the big one, COVID-19. Sources of uncertainty the rise of Xi Jinping's China and how it will act, supply chain reshoring and ageing populations, macroeconomics in general, but particularly growth rates, debt and inflation, sources of complexity, the rise of AI and machine learning, internet-enabled commerce and communications, embedded globalisation, sources of ambiguity, well, your guess is as good as mine. And yeah, 
I hear you. Cherry picking a few examples that prove my point does not a rigorous analysis make. But word counts are word counts. My take? Well, I think that volatility is increasing. Unforeseen, irregular, and important geopolitical events are happening more frequently now than at any time since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I also think complexity is increasing. The internet has connected most humans on Earth in real time. If we refer back to the graphic above, that means it's both increased the number of nodes and the connections between those nodes exponentially. But more than just that, the sheer amount of information available to almost anybody about almost anything has also increased complexity. But I think that uncertainty and ambiguity are probably not increasing. I have no reason to think that 2021 is more uncertain or more ambiguous than, say, the period after 9-11 or during the global financial crisis in 2007. And you may well disagree with any or all of that. After all, mental models inherently reflect the biases of the analyst. And maybe I'm so biased towards my view that I'm missing some obvious counterpoints. Again, there is no right answer. So what's the point? If you work in finance, law, consulting, tech, consumer goods, energy, or any number of other globalized industries, you don't need me to tell you that understanding how the world works is vital. But I'll bet that at least some of you don't know where to start. So you read the mainstream media, you listen to geopolitical experts, maybe you even read, or in this case, listen to, a newsletter from a couple of plucky Aussies. But the biggest risk with that approach is that you end up subconsciously parroting someone else's viewpoint. And that's the point. Mental models like VUCA, and there are many, many others, make it that much harder to accidentally adopt someone else's opinions as your own. They can't replace the media, or experts, or this newsletter, I hope, but they can help you organise your thoughts and come to your own conclusions. Anyway, I got sidetracked. Does that answer what volatility is? Aren't the weeks just flying by? Or so it seems to us. Anyway, that's it for another week. We hope you enjoyed those two stories. Let us know what you think, particularly of the volatility story, because we are experimenting with moving into more thought pieces rather than just recapping the news. We'd be interested to have your feedback. Other than that, you can always get in touch with us by replying to the newsletter or following the links in the description of this podcast or, of course, tweeting us at intintrigue. That's at intintrigue. Until next week. <laughs>